You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Hot Topics in Allergy, presented by the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. Your host is Dr. Katen Sheff, Medical Director of the Lafayette Allergy and Asthma Clinic in Lafayette, Indiana. Is there a significant risk that children taking inhaled or intranasal corticosteroids will end up shorter than their peers? Or is an effectively managed asthma patient not at risk for stunted growth? Joining us to discuss growth effects of allergy and asthma medications is Dr. David Schoner, Director of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology, and Vice Chairman of Clinical Research in the Department of Pediatrics of Allegheny General Hospital in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He's also Professor of Pediatrics at the Drexel University College of Medicine in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Clinical Professor of Pediatrics at West Virginia University School of Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Schoner. Thank you very much. Well, can we link growth or lack of growth directly to allergy and or asthma medication or to the disease itself? I think it can be a little bit of both. Certainly, poorly controlled asthma has been linked to poor growth. However, poorly controlled allergic rhinitis has not necessarily been linked to poor growth. On the other hand, the medications that we use include corticosteroids, and depending on the dose and where they're sprayed, they may or may not affect the growth of children. Usually when they're sprayed in the nose for allergic rhinitis, there's been absolutely no effect seen on growth, with the exception of the older molecule, uh, beclomethasone. We actually found a small growth effect using that sprayed in the nose. However, when they're put into the lungs, it's a little bit of a different story, and the reason they're different is because of the absorptive area differs so much in the lungs compared to the nose. The nose has a very small absorptive area, and the lungs, of course, have a big absorptive area, and just about everything we put in the lungs goes into the blood, and, you know, that's not true in the nose. You might say, well, what about the swallowed portion? We swallow a portion of the nose sprays and the orally inhaled sprays for asthma, but the newer drugs are pretty much engineered to be inactivated in the liver first pass through, so there's very little GI component to the newer drugs in terms of systemic bioavailability, but we still have to deal with the local absorption, and of course that's much greater in the lungs than it is in the nose. So if we do get enough in the blood from lung delivery and we use a pretty sensitive detection device like a stadiometer, we're able to find small effects on growth over a period of about a year. And they are small. The size is about one centimeter. So children at this age are normally, you know, six to nine years of age, they're normally growing about six centimeters in a year. And if they spend a year on an inhaled steroid, they generally have grown about five centimeters in a year. So that's a small effect size. And you could also imagine that risk of any given child having a growth effect is just that. It's a risk. Many of the children that get on the inhaled steroids for their asthma, for poorly controlled asthma, they begin to grow faster than normal. And, of course, some are growing slower than normal, and they pull the mean value down a little bit. So having a growth effect from these is really only a risk, and it's probably related to the dose and the duration of treatment. Most of the effect seems to occur early, perhaps in the first few months of therapy of a year's long 
therapy. And the longer-term studies have shown that if we continue treatment for like five years, the big effect is seen in the first year, and you don't see much more of a progressive effect during years two, three, four, and five. So it seems like an early transient effect, and again, it's a rather small one. Most of the studies that have followed children continuously treated for their asthma until they stop growing and reach adult height, they've concluded that children do reach their predicted adult height even though they've used six, seven, eight, nine years worth of inhaled steroids. But the data on that are limited. There's a small amount of data, but the data that we have are very reassuring. Well, give us a little bit more information about how we measure growth or some of the various types of studies. I know you mentioned stadiometry, but tell us about the different ways that we can look at growth as as one of the effects or systemic effects of these medications. Well, there were a lot of studies done in the 1980s, and they were largely efficacy studies looking at the benefits of the inhaled steroids, but in the same study, they would just happen to measure growth. And in those studies, they used the old office scale. And sometimes the the arm on the old office scale would bend up, and sometimes it would bend down a little bit. And it was pretty insensitive, and because the effect size was only one centimeter, that device wasn't good enough to, to pick up the small growth effect. It wasn't really until we started to use the stadiometer to measure the growth that we were able to find the small signal is associated with the use of the inhaled corticosteroids. Of course, the stadiometer is mounted on a wall, and the measurement plate that comes down on top of the head is pretty much fixed in a perpendicular to the wall. It's not able to bend up and down like the old office scale could. So the stadiometer was able to find the small growth effects. There's also another device called a nemometer, K-N-E-M-O-M-E-T-E-R. It comes from a Greek word meaning to measure the length of the lower leg. And this device simply measures the length of the lower leg. And one can detect growth using that system in short periods, like two to four weeks of, of treatment. You can find a treatment effects by measuring the lower leg length. If we use the stadiometer to measure standing height, we need about four to six months of growth to be able to distinguish between like a placebo and a drug effect. So we can do shorter-term studies with the nemometer than we can with the stadiometer, but the stadiometer gives more relevant information, you know, in terms of standing height. I think it's more relevant than the length of the lower leg. And the effects measured in the lower leg length studies are very small. They're millimeters per week compared to centimeters per year that we measure with the stadiometer. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Hot Topics in Allergy from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Katen Sheff, and joining me to discuss growth effects of allergy and asthma medications is Dr. David Schoner, Director of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology and Vice Chairman of Clinical Research in the Department of Pediatrics of Allegheny General Hospital in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Well, let's talk a little more about the stadiometer. I know you've certainly done a lot of research in that area. Do changes in the stadiometer or the nemometry perhaps predict future growth and future height? Well, they tend not to. And the reason is that growth is not necessarily linear. It's not continuous. Over time, it often undergoes big increases in velocity and then uh, decreases in velocity. And 
some of the children under normal conditions can, you know, move downward across growth percentiles for up to three years and still be normal. So there's a lot of variability in growth, and it's nonlinear. So neither of these devices really can tell you how you'll be growing long-term. Having said that, though, if you do find a growth effect with the nemometer in a two-week study, usually you'll find that same effect with that same drug at the same dose over a one-year study with the stadiometer. So usually nemometry results will predict stadiometry results, but neither of those will really tell you whether you're going to have long-term impacts or not. Some of the effects that develop might clear up during puberty, for example. When children have growth hormone stimulating growth in the school age years, their growth can be very sensitive to exogenous corticosteroids. However, when they get to puberty and there's multiple very strong signals for growth, they may not be as susceptible and they may even catch up during that time. And In all likelihood, that's what's happened in the longer-term studies that have been done. So there's really nonlinearity to growth, and I think that makes it less likely that we can predict any one outcome from a couple of measurements. Well, obviously, we have patients who have asthma who also have concomitant allergic rhinitis, and perhaps they're treated with an inhaled corticosteroid plus an intranasal corticosteroid, perhaps plus an oral steroid if they have a flare-up. What do you tell physicians to watch for in that, and what does the literature help us with that? Well, unfortunately, the literature doesn't help us very much. Most of these studies are funded by pharmaceutical companies, and many of the companies like to minimize their risks And when they do studies. And, and to do an orally inhaled study in asthma, you know, you may find an effect. You're not likely to find an effect with the nasal delivery system, but combining them would make it more risky and more likely that one would find something. And I think that's one of the big reasons those studies haven't been done. There's virtually no literature on that. There's a little bit of literature that was published in abstract form that looked a little bit reassuring, but nothing very conclusive that's been published in in major journals and allowed us to make any major conclusions. So my advice is to pick the safest steroids available and use the lowest effective dose for both and, of course, monitor the growth in all the children that are treated. The one thing that I would say is that we manage asthma with a given dose of an inhaled steroid. And there are studies showing that intranasal treatment actually can make the asthma a little bit better. It's possible that we would gain some things by treating both airways. In other words, putting a small amount into the nose every day that doesn't get absorbed might help us cut down on the inhaled steroid dose that does get absorbed. So one could perceive actual benefits in dual therapy as long as we were able to cut down on the dose of the inhaled drug by using the nasal drug. But those studies really haven't been done. But I think it's really hard to go wrong by saying pick safe drugs, use the lowest effective doses, and monitor the growth. What about oral steroids? Certainly many patients who have perhaps not started an inhaled steroid or are frequently treated with oral steroids. How many is too much? Should we be concerned? Well, oral steroids, no question, carry their risk. And that's why I'm always in favor of using inhaled steroids to treat chronic asthma, if it's able to cut down on one or two prednisone bursts in a year, I think that's very beneficial for the child. And there's a couple of reasons that I'm saying that. 
if one looks at the growth of children when they go on to prednisone short-term, the growth goes way down for that period of time and probably for a period of time after that. So there's some short-term growth suppression from the prednisone. And also, the prednisone, of course, gets about 80% absorbed, and we're talking about milligram quantities. And when we think about what we're putting into the lungs in microgram quantities, and maybe only, let's say, 10 to 30% systemic bioavailability, a low amount, you know, we can administer inhaled steroids for an entire year and reach a certain milligram quantity of systemic bioavailability. Well, as it turns out, one course of prednisone with milligrams and 80% bioavailability pretty much exceeds, one burst of that exceeds the amount of exposure you get in one year from an inhaled steroid at a low to medium dose. So I'm all in favor of using inhaled steroids to reduce the burden of oral steroids. There was also a recent study published in pediatrics, and it was from the CAMP study, or Childhood Asthma Management Program. Essentially, they followed children for like seven years and looked at how many prednisone bursts they had required over that period of time. And it was a little bit surprising to me, although I was suspicious that this would happen and that we really didn't have the data on it. But what they found was they looked at bone mineral accretion, you know, Children are gaining bone mass until they're about 20, and then we begin to lose it. Well, so in children, we're going to look at bone mineral accretion rather than loss. And the bottom line was there was a dose-related decrease in bone mineral accretion in children based on the number of prednisone bursts that they had had over those seven years of time. So I think that we see not only effects on growth, but also on the density of the bone in children treated with the oral steroids. So... Again, I'll reiterate, I think that if we are able to use inhaled steroids to successfully reduce the need for one or two or three prednisone bursts in a year, I think that's amounts to successful therapy. Well, I'd like to thank my guest from Drexel University College of Medicine in Philadelphia, Dr. David Schoner. Dr. Schoner, thank you for being our guest this week on Hot Topics in Allergy. You're welcome. I'm very glad to be involved. You've been listening to Hot Topics in Allergy on ReachMD XM160. This show has been presented by the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. For more information on the ACAAI, please visit acaai.org. For more information about this or any other show, please visit ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts. Thank you for listening.